Um, but we're, we're talking about this idea of, of sex, not only just in relationships and in marriage, but the good and bad that can come, come with it. And if you haven't been here for the past couple of weeks, I encourage you to go on our app and find, uh, find the sermons and listen to them. Um, I'm really excited about next week, and, and you really should be too. Next weekend, you're not going to just get to hear me. You're going to get to hear my wife, Lindsay, too. And Yeah. And, um, and so this is what we're going to do next weekend. So let me go ahead and preface next weekend. Um, we're going to make next weekend extremely practical, and uh, we're going to open up our, our marriage and our lives to you. And uh, I'm going to need your help, though. Okay, so this is what I need from you. Next weekend, we're simply going to do a Q&A. So we're going to take your questions, and we're going to answer them. Now, that's very risky on my part. I just want to let you know. Um, but I want you to submit any questions that you may have in regards to relationships or marriage. If you're single, you can ask those relationship questions. If you're married, maybe it's something that we haven't talked about yet. Maybe it's something that we've already hit on, but you feel like, I, I need to get more clarity on this. That's fine as well. So tomorrow, if you open up your app tomorrow, on the homepage of your app, there'll be a place for you to submit a question. You'll just hit the little tab, write your question. It'll send it in to us. Um, all of the questions will be anonymous. I'm not putting your name up on the screen. So, so Kelly said, um, I'm not going to do that. Her husband's like, why did you say that? <laughs> I'm not doing that. Um, they will be anonymous. So you can just submit your questions uh, to us. And uh, Lindsay and I will go through those as best as possible and give you as much wisdom that we have. And we'll just direct you to the Bible or we might share our mistakes in these areas too. But uh, next week will be super practical. So please submit your questions. You can Facebook message uh, us as well. You can put them on our group app. We, we want to just make sure that we get as many questions in as we possibly can. So that's, so that's next week. So should be a good one. Um, let me start off real quick with a story. There's a story of a, of a daughter who was talking to her grandmother. And uh, she asked her grandmother, she said, Grandma, how old are you? And uh, the grandmother said, uh, baby, listen, you don't ask a woman her age. And, uh, and the granddaughter says, well, I, actually, I already know. You were born in 1952. And the grandma's like, oh, okay. She said, well, um, grandma, how much do you weigh? She said, baby, listen, let me tell you something. You do not ask a woman how much they weigh. She says, well, I already know. You weigh 142 pounds. And she said, baby, how do you know all this? She said, I dug in your purse the other day and I saw your wallet. So I pulled out your wallet and I saw your driver's license and I pulled it out and it said you were born in 1952 and it said that you were 142 pounds and it said that you got an F in sex. <laughs> it's slowly tricking. Some people are getting it a little later. You know, it's society today, I think when it comes to sexual purity, when it comes to this idea of sex, I would also rate them an F. Um, our nation and our culture gets this wrong. Um, no one's lied to you more about this than Hollywood and mainstream about this idea of, of sex and intimacy and how to do it well. And I have been reading things this week that has just yet again been blowing my mind. A lot of this is stuff that I kind of already knew because I do a lot of counseling in this area. But um, when you go and you start reading the, the hard statistics in this, um, it's, even, it's even tougher to see because we lived in such a sex-obsessed culture, and, uh, but yet we're not getting it right. We're getting it all wrong. And let me just show you a couple of things. 91% of sexual scenes you see in movies are between two unmarried people. 91%. 50 Shades of Grey. I'm not going to do a hands on how many have seen it, but it is the fastest selling book in history, in publishing history. It sold over 450 million copies. That's a lot, which uh, 60% of those were on Kindles, meaning they didn't want to actually buy the book. I found out actually the, the, the movie, when it first opened up back in what, 2012 or whenever that was, 80% of the tickets bought to the movie were bought online on Fandango, almost as if people didn't want to actually go to the ticket counter and say what they were going to see. 70, look at, listen to this, 70, 74% of men said they would have an affair if they knew they'd never get caught. One in five teenage girls. How many in here have a teenage girl? Raise your hand if you've got teenage girls. Listen to this one. 
One in five teenage girls said they have either sent a semi-nude or nude photo of themselves to someone. One out of five. 30% of Christian women, now listen, this is people who love Jesus. 30% of Christian women, 50% of Christian men are addicted to pornography. In the U.S., U.S. alone, revenues for pornography was $13 billion with a B. Listen to this. That's more than all of the revenues for professional football, baseball, and basketball combined. $13 billion. Sexual immorality is rampant. And, and by the way, it, it doesn't matter who you are. It's coming after you. Politicians, athletes, pastors, regular men and women like many of us. It doesn't matter. It goes after every single person. And I want to, on the front end of this message, want to do two things. One, I want to apologize because I don't feel like we've tackled this issue enough. I was meeting with a guy this week for lunch who has had an, ish, an issue in this area, and he brought it, something to my attention. He said, you know, at church, we hear a lot of the preaching is about people that have addictions with drugs and have addictions with alcohol, but nobody rarely talks about addictions to sexual addictions. But according to these statistics, it looks like actual sexual addiction is probably greater than the other two. It is rampant in our society, and unfortunately, most churches don't talk about it. We've talked about it at times, but I feel like we probably should have done a better job of doing this, especially if this is an issue that's in our culture. And it sounds like it's not just an issue in our culture, it's an issue also in the church. And so this is something we're going to pull the blinders from, pull the mask off and begin to expose this. Now, let me just say this on the front end. This is as much uncomfortable for me as it is for you. But at the same time, as a pastor who loves Jesus, loves the Bible and loves you, I can't not not talk about it. We have to talk about it because here's the truth. We're not going to not talk about something that God created. If God created and he's not ashamed of it, then we're going to talk about it. All right. So we're not going to be crass and rude about it, but we do need to go to scripture and find out how to do this the right way. So I want to show you a verse. First Thessalonians chapter four. Come on. How many of you like my teaching screen? How awesome is this? Pretty cool here, huh? Um, this is so when you're watching online, you can now see the scriptures. So this is what it says. Look at this in First Thessalonians 4. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. So you want to know what God's will for you and I in here? It's very simple. That you would be sanctified. Now, sanctified, that's a big word. What does that mean? That we'd be set apart. That we would be men that are not like the world. That you should, what's this word? Avoid sexual immorality. Now, that word sexual immorality is actually in the Greek pornea. It's where you get the word porn. Sexual immorality is really, honestly, any sex outside of marriage. So it could be fornication, could be adultery, could be pornography, could be homosexuality, could be it's any type of immorality that's in the area of sex. And it says, for us, we should avoid these things, that each of you should learn to control his body in a way that is, what's the word? That's holy and, and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen. Well, who are heathens? Those who don't know God. So those who don't know God can't control their bodies. They can't control their passions. They don't avoid sexual immorality. They're all into sexual immorality. They're all about the passions of the lust. This is people who don't know God. But look at this next verse. Verse 7 says this. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a what? A holy life. So here's the question. Ready? How do we, in our relationships, in our marriages, in our singleness, live pure when we live in a world that is impure? Because how many you know it's all around us? How many you know back in the day, like if you wanted to view porn, like you had to actually work for it? Y'all know that? Like you had to like actually go, you had to go find a magazine, you had to like do all, like how many you know you don't work for it anymore? It comes to you. It finds you. It's all over us. It's all around us nowadays. And so how do we as Christians and as people who want to have good relationships, how do we live pure? How do we live a holy life? So God's called us to live this way when everything around us is bombarding us. Which, by the way, God created sex. 
Sex is good. Most churches, they, they make it like sex is bad, it's gross, it's disgusting. Save it for your husband. You know, it's like, what? No, sex is good. It's a great thing. Sex is, is a gift from God. But just like anything, a good thing that's done the wrong way becomes a bad thing. Listen to me very closely. A good thing that's done the wrong way can become a bad thing. So we have a fireplace in our house. Love it. Lindsay loves when we can get cold enough. It drops below 50. We're like, fire. We need a fire. Like, I just love building fires. I love it. And so we have a fireplace. So I'm always building fires. So striking up a, 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 a fire in my fireplace, good. Warms house, awesome. Striking up a fire in my living room on the rug, bad. Destroys the house. The Bible refers to sex as a good thing. It's good when it's in the proper place. Take it out of that place. Put it in the middle of the room, bad. Destroys everything. So a good thing that's done in the right way, in the right place, awesome. A good thing put in the wrong place, destroys. We'll get into this more in just a little bit. But I believe that God has instituted marriage and he's instituted family. And if you want to see what God wants to use, look at what the enemy attacks. And guess what the enemy's attacking right now? Families and marriages. He's attacking them. And guess what else he's attacking? Sexuality. Now people can't even decide on what sex they are. What, the enemy is going after these things because he realizes that's what God wants to use the most. And so if the enemy is after us, last week we talked about how the enemy is after us in division, bringing offenses and conflict and always wanting to separate us from our spouse, that there's fighting and how do we reconcile that? But I'm going to tell you right now, one of the greatest fights that, that the enemy can bring is in the area of sex. There's nothing that can destroy your family faster than sexual sin. Nothing. It, it is rampant. And the, the biggest lie, here's the biggest lie that we believe, the biggest lie that we believe, especially if you're single in here, I want, if you're single, I want you to listen to me. The biggest lie that we believe is if I have a lust problem now when I get married, I won't have one anymore. And that's the biggest lie. That if I got, if I got an issue with sexual immorality now, you know, when I get married, I won't have that problem anymore. No, here's what the problem is. If you have a lust problem when you're single, you're just going to have a lust problem when you're married. Well, how, how can you say that, Pastor Josh? Well, actually, the scripture tells us that. Look at this. This is what it says in uh, Proverbs 27, verse 20. Hell has a voracious appetite, and lust just never what? It never quits. It never quits. Lust doesn't go, oh, you're married now. You're good. You're good. No, no, no. It says, just because now you can do what you want in marriage... Lust is still there, and it's never quitting. It is coming after you. It's knocking on the door. It's pounding on the heart in our lives all the time. It never quits. So today, I, wanna, I want us to look at a man named David. King David was a mighty man in Scripture. We, the Bible actually calls him a man after God's own heart. That's the description that God uses to describe David. Now, we know David. David killed Goliath. He slain giants. He's wrote Psalms. He's wrote books of the Bible. He was a shepherd at one time. He's led armies. I mean, he's the king, loves Jesus, but he fails sexually. He fails. He fails in this area for the battle of purity. And I want to show you where it happened. So go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11, it's there in your notes, I want us to read this together. It says, in the spring at the time when kings go off to war, take note of that, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army, and they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. So at a time when the, who? The kings go off to war, what does David do? Stays, he stays. Uh-oh. Not good. Look at verse 2. It says this. So one evening, David got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof. Uh-oh. Number two. How many know anything at night's not good? It's going to go bad. I don't know if he got up to go pee, but for whatever reason he got up, he's like, hey, let's take a stroll on the roof. <laughs> Hopefully he wasn't peeing off the roof. Um, so he walked around on the roof. 
of the palace. From the roof, he, what's his word? We'll get to this in a minute. He saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very, very beautiful. All right, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Sexual impurity begins with the eyes. Sexual impurity begins with the eyes. Most of us think it begins with the heart. It's wrong. It actually begins with the eyes. You'll notice in this passage, David was, got up walking around on the roof and he saw Bathsheba. She was a very beautiful woman. Now, the, the, I, you kind of have to fill in the blanks in these stories, though, because it doesn't give you time frame. Like, how long was he on the roof? How long did he look at her? Did he go back and get binoculars? Like, what's going on here? Like, you don't, we don't know. We don't know what's going on. All we know is that he sees her. She's extremely beautiful. And here's the lie of the enemy. Y'all ready? I can look but not touch. As long as I look and I don't touch, everything's okay. That's the lie of the enemy. There's no such thing as window shopping. Doesn't work out that way. There was a, a couple that was shopping together um, at the mall and a very gorgeous woman passed by the husband and wife and the man intently looked at her as she was passing the by and the wife caught the man looking at the woman as she was passing by and he, she says, was it worth it for the trouble you are now in? <laughs> the eyes, let me give you this. Um, I, don't, I don't think this is in your notes, but... Stay off the roof and guard the gate. Stay off the roof and guard the gate. So what do I mean by that? Well, we know that he got up in the middle of the night and went on the roof. The roof represents really a place of where he was going to go see some things that he shouldn't have seen. He knew what happens at night in his city. He's the king. He understands that the women take baths at night. And he got up on the roof knowing what he was going to be coming across. And for you and I, we've got to be very careful to just stay off the roof. And all of us have roofs. All of us have roofs of, of places where we know if we go, we're going to see some things we shouldn't see. And now that, nowadays, it, that may be in technology, that may be certain channels on the TV that you know if I go to that channel at, after night, it's not going to be a good channel do you know that if I surf that web or if I go to that website, if I go, I'm going to see things that I shouldn't see and we need to make a commitment to just stay off the roof. A lot of this would have just began with just staying off the roof. Think about this. You're going to see the progression of what happens in a minute, but you're going to realize if he would have just stayed off the roof, we would have been okay. And then guard the gate. What are we talking about guarding the gate? What is that look like? Well, I don't know how many of you like, um, any of y'all seen like The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings? Any, any Lord of the Rings or Hobbit fans in here? I don't know if any of you are. Our family loves those, those uh, trilogies and those series. We've been watching a lot of them. And if you know, when they go <clears throat> to attack a city, a city is usually fortified by these absolutely huge cement walls all around this city or castle or whatever they're, they're trying to guard and protect. And the enemy does not go after the walls. They go after the gate. If you notice, watch the movies. They're pounding the gate to try to get in because the gate is, one, the weakest part of that whole complex. And then secondly, if I can get in the gate... I've already won half the battle. The Bible says that our eyes are the gate, the window not only to our soul, but they are the window to sexual impurity starting. It starts in the eye gate. And the enemy is creeping into our homes via what we allow through this gate, through social media, through the movies that we watch, through the music that we listen to, the entertainment. And so I'm going to just give you something real, real quick here. It's real simple. I'll take one of the greatest keys to freedom in the area of sexual purity is this. You ready? Here it is. It's deep. You ready? If you stop looking, you'll stop lusting. I know. It just blew your mind there. If you stop looking, you will stop lusting. Okay, let me show you what Jesus has to say about this, okay? This is, this is Jesus' words. This is what he says in Matthew. Can we put that verse up, please? It says, but I say anyone who even, come on, say it with me, looks, 
Anyone who even looks at a woman or a man, because this isn't just a woman's, a man's issue, anyone who looks at a woman or man with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart, so if your eye causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. Thank God we don't do that. Um, so I want you to watch this. Watch. Watch the progression. Do you see it? Look. Lust, adultery. You can't get here if you don't allow this to happen. This is the beginning. This is the gate. You stop the looking, you stop the lusting, you have fair proof your marriage. If you look, you're opening the door and the gate for the enemy to walk in now and then to feed this and lead to this. And if we were to dissect every affair, it began here. Trust me. It begins here. Sexual impurity begins in the eyes first. That's why Job made a covenant with God. Look at this in Job 31 verse 1. He said, I made a covenant, not just a commitment, a covenant with my, everybody say it out loud. Eyes. With my eyes. Not to look. look lustfully at a young woman. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look. This is how important Job realizes that the very beginning of sexual impurity just starts with just the eyes. Everybody that has children in here, I want you to listen very closely. Nowadays, Pornography is being seen at a younger and younger age. They're saying now the average child gets exposed to it at seven or eight. I watched a thing the other day um, about a serial killer who had killed 28 women. And he did an interview. Did an interview actually with Josh McDowell with, um, and I mean, not Josh McDowell, with James, James, uh, James McDowell. And he said that if he, he grew up in a Christian home, had incredible parents. And he said the beginning of his progression to atrocious sins started when he was 11 years old, throwing out the trash in the back of a dump, and he found a magazine. And from there, the fascination began. And it began to progress. Because one of the things you find out about sin is it doesn't stay where it starts. It progresses. And so this is why it's so important for us as parents, listen to me very closely, that we have to talk with our kids and they don't learn it from other people. Because I'd rather my kids hear the truth than to hear something that may be a lie. Y'all with me here? This week, I'll, this week I'll give you some resources. And if you haven't had a conversation with your kids about this, and not only just about sex in general, but just about p- being pure and guarding your eyes. I'll give you some resources this week. I'll post them online for you. But we've got to make sure that as, as parents, we get into this. We've got to make a covenant with our eyes. We've got to watch out what we're looking for. So here's the question. What are you watching? What movies do you allow into your house? What TV shows do you allow into your house? What things are you allowing your kids to see? Is there unfiltered internet? And if there is unfiltered internet, you better be really careful. Are your kids allowed to have their internet unfiltered in their room? Alone, be careful. Be careful where this is. Trying to warn you. This is where it begins in in the looking. Number two, sexual impurity feeds my curiosity. It feeds the the curiosity. Second Samuel chapter eleven verse three. It says, "And David sent someone to find out about her." So at that point, he he saw her. He could have just turned around and said, "I'm a married man." But we, don't, we didn't do that. You know what he said? Hmm, I wonder what her name is. Oh, I haven't seen that girl in a while. Oh, she wants to be my friend on Facebook. Okay. He says, hey, let's, let's find out a little bit about her. So he sends the man, a, 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 one of his guys, we don't know, it's an unknown man. And he said, this is what the man replies to him, that is Bathsheba. Okay, I got her name. All right, Bathsheba. I like that. Okay. She's the daughter of Eliam. Oh, by the way, she's married. 
She's married. Now, now, now watch what begins to happen. Well, I'll, I'll get to it in a minute. Let me, let me show you something that Josh McDowell said. Listen to me very closely. Josh McDowell said this. He said, adultery starts in the head before it ever goes to the bed. It starts in the head before it ever goes to the bed. It, impurity begins to feed the curiosity. Which, by the way, sin always fascinates you before it ever assassinates you. There's always a fascination because once it gets into the eye gate, now it has the room to now be able to control your mind and your thoughts. You start beginning to play out this imagination of, I wonder what it would be like. It begins to tell you, what, I wonder what life would be like with that person. I wonder what, man, man, I'm going through this in my marriage. And man, I'm sure that guy probably is a lot better than my man. And you get all this comparison thing that starts beginning to happen in our lives. John Piper put it this way. Look what he says. John Piper says this. He says, lust gets its power by persuading me to believe that I will be more happy if I follow it. Lust lies to you and I, and it tells you, oh, that's what you want. The grass is greener on the other side. It doesn't tell you that the water bill's higher, though. So we might just want to just water our own. And it says, the power of all temptation is the prospect that it will make me happier. That is the lie that our culture tells you. If you don't like him, just get another one. Get an upgrade. The other one's better. So what we do is we start flirting, we start teasing, we start having these little side conversations, we start instant messaging and having messenger conversations that are in, and we begin to hide these things because we don't want our spouse to see or we don't want the, my boyfriend to see and we start having these things, we start hiding and we start going into this fantasy world of what this would be like. This is how it begins, this is how it plays out. Nobody ever wakes up in the middle, well, I'll get to that in a minute. But this is how it plays on our minds. This is how it plays in our hearts. If we're not careful to guard the curiosity, flirting is the gateway drug to adultery. So I tell people all the time, never stop flirting with your spouse and never start flirting with someone else. Save all of that for for your spouse. Never start that. Never even allow those thoughts to begin to come. And if they do, you begin to take those things captive. Because it leads to this. You ready? Here's your number three. Sexual impurity magnifies the desire and it minimizes the destruction. It magnifies the desire, but it minimizes the destruction. Let's continue reading. So David now, he's already found out a little bit about, I got her name, I got all this. It says, and then David sent messengers to go get her. Get that girl over here. She seems, she seems fun. And so she came to him, and now here we go. He sleeps with her. And now she was purifying herself from her uncleanliness, and then she went back home, and the woman conceived, and she sent word to David, said, I'm pregnant. The probably dreaded words that any man would want to hear. This is the reality of what's gone on. Because sexual sin will minimize, will maximize the desire, will maximize the delight, and it'll minimize the destruction. It'll minimize the damage because it doesn't even see it because it only sees self. Because lust is, lust is all about what I want, not what I want to give. It's about what I want. Lust is all about taking. Marriage is all about giving. Y'all with me here? It's some good, good preaching, Pastor Josh. Way to go. Okay, some good stuff. Y'all got to help me out here. It's a little difficult. You're looking at me like stepping on some toes. So this is minimizing the consequences and maximizing the delight. Here's the problem. Most people don't plan on ruining their lives, though. David didn't wake up from that sleep, get up on the roof and think, man, I hope one day I get to murder somebody. Because, by the way, that's where this actually led to. It began to lead to a place where he, she got pregnant, so he had, the, he had Uriah come to his house. He said, Uriah, sleep with your wife, man. Have fun, have fun. And he, he was loyal to David. He said, no, I'm not going to. He s- slept at David's house. 
He's like, oh man, I'm in big trouble. So he sends a letter with Uriah. Uriah takes the letter to the, to the front, to the general, and the letter says, have Uriah be on the front lines, and whenever the battle gets intense, tell everybody else to pull out and kill him. And he kills him. He dies right there in battle. He thought, okay, nobody's going to know. This is, a, this is going to be a good deal. This is, and he never woke up that day, that night, and thought, man, I hope I can just blow it all today. Nobody who has adultery, nobody who has sexual sin just wakes up and goes, man, I hope I'm an addict. Nobody wakes up and goes, man, I hope I can destroy my family today. It is a step, 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 step that we take to this place because we're magnifying the desire. We're minimizing the destruction. There was a guy by the name of Gary Richmond. He was a zookeeper. He wrote a, uh, a book called View from the Zoo. And he shares a story in this book about his uh, friend named Julie. And Julie found a baby raccoon. And so she thought the baby was so cute. The baby raccoon was so amazing. So she began to feed the baby raccoon. And then she began to take, the, take care of the baby raccoon. And, uh, and Gary told Julie, he said, Julie, listen, when that baby raccoon hits between two and four weeks, there's going to be a glandular change inside of that baby raccoon and it looks all sweet and nice now, but in two to four weeks, it is going to be able to do some major damage just like a 150 pound dog. And she said, not my bandit. She named it bandit. The family was loving the little thing. Two to four weeks later, Bandit became what Bandit was, and she had to have three facial surgeries to fix her face. Because she said, no, this ain't going to happen to me. No, no, listen, I can play with fire and I won't get burned. No, I can do this and it's not going to be a big deal. Some of us are playing around with bandits right now, and I'm here to tell you, and God is speaking to you, let go of bandit. It will destroy you. It will destroy everything that you've worked for. You know how I know that? Proverbs 7. Proverbs 7 is a picture of a man who fell into immorality. And it says, he did not know it would cost him his life. He didn't know it would cost him his life. But it did Now, it might not cost you your life in you dying, but it may cost you your marriage. It may cost you your kids. It may cost you your grandkids. It may cost you your job. It may cost you. There's going to be things it costs. Listen, sex outside of marriage costs. It's never free. There's no such thing as free sex. It'll cost something. It'll cost your soul. There's things that it does in us. I love this. It says, if you think, put this quote up this, if you think that you would never fall into sexual sin, look at this, you must be godlier than David, stronger than Samson, and wiser than Solomon. Because all three of those guys loved Jesus and fell into sexual sin. David, Solomon, Samson. And if you go, oh, that never happened to me, you better watch out. Listen, this church has been around for 17 years. Pastor Bubba and I have had the incredible privilege of, of um, building this church, pouring our lives into this church, and I know one decision, one bad decision I could make could ruin this whole thing. One bad decision from Pastor Bubba could ruin this whole thing. One moment of getting on the roof, being in a place I shouldn't be, doing something I shouldn't do, could could ruin everything. Can God redeem it? Yeah, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. We're going to give some hope. But I hope this is weighty. I hope you understand the magnitude of what's going on here with sexual sin. It, it's not just all cute and cuddly like the movies want to show it. There's so much pain that is attached to it. It's destroying people. Temptation is a lot like the ESPN highlight reel. If you've ever seen ESPN, they show the highlight reels every, on the hour. And the highlight reels show all the amazing, awesome plays. You know what they don't show? The injuries. They show amazing, incredible, phenomenal plays. But they don't show everybody who got hurt that day too. Because when you play that game, you can, you can definitely get hurt. And when you do things your way and not God's way, you're going to hurt somebody. 
Let me tell you the first thing. First thing is sexual, sexual impurity is going to affect your relationship with God. And you know that. I don't even have to even convince you of this. You know that. You have a hard time walking into here and lifting up hands because you know that deep down inside there is something hitting inside of you that nobody else knows. And so it affects our relationship with God, which, by the way, sexual sin is the gateway to open up to every other sin. Because guess what? Okay, so when you begin to fall into sexual sin, you begin to really lust and you begin to pursue that. Guess what else? All these other sins start coming in the door. Guess what? Lying, right? Got to start lying. Deception, got to start deceiving people. Fear, you start being afraid. You start hiding. You start, everything's in. Anger, get off of my back. Why are you always worried about where I'm at? Why are you, mistrust, unbelief, Doubt that God can forgive you, that this is always going to be the case. When we open this gate, I'm letting you in, we let all this other stuff, all these other sins come in. And it affects our relationship with God. It affects our relationship with our family. The Bible talks about sin being either transgressions or iniquities when it describes sin. Now let me go a little deep here. But hang with me. The word transgression means an outward sin. So like if you go, you know, on somebody's property and on the fence it says, no trespassing. What it's telling you is if you cross this line, you're wrong. Don't do this. All throughout scripture we see things that God says, don't do this, don't do this, do it this way. Which, by the way, God's boundary lines are not so that you won't have fun. They're actually to keep you safe. So when God says, do sex this way, it's not because he's like, oh, I don't want people to have sex. No, he says, I want you to have the most fulfilling one. And by the way, people who are most fulfilled in sex are Christians. That love God, love their wives. Because there's no shame, no guilt, nothing that's in there. It's a boundary line of how God does this. And so transgression says, do it this way. Don't do it this way. And so really, honestly, adultery, fornication, Shacking up together. These things are things God says don't do, and they're trespasses. They're outward sins. But then it gives the word iniquity. And iniquity speaks more of an internal sin. It is the lust. It's the desires of the eyes. It's the broken areas of our heart. The Bible says this in the Old Testament. that our, It doesn't say our transgressions are passed down to our kids. You know what it says is? Our iniquities are passed down to our sin, our kids. Meaning that if you had an affair or things, that's not passed down to your kids. But your, your un- inability to ever deal with the lust in your lives will now affect your kids. And your kids' kids. And it says to the third and to the fourth generations, if it's not broken. But how many of you know the Bible says that Jesus came and he was pierced for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. Y'all see it? Pierced is an outward thing. Bruised is a inward thing. Let me, let me show you what scripture even says. Scripture even tells us this in so many different ways. I'll, I'll get to it in a minute. But I think for our children, sexual purity is one of the greatest things that we can give our kids. The greatest antidote to pornography is a mom and a dad that love each other and love Jesus. And your kid's seeing it. Your kid's seeing this. There's no substitute for a mom and dad who love Jesus and love each other. There's nothing there. Nothing greater that we can do. So let's talk about how do we affair-proof our marriage. How do we make sure that we don't get there? Let me show you a couple of things. I'm going to show you three things. Let me show you the scripture first. 2 Timothy 2, 2, and then we're going to wrap it up. Everybody still with me? All right? Okay. I know we're getting a little, little, little hot in here. All right? It's just me. <clears throat> So, watch. What's the first one? Run. Okay. Run from anything that stimulates your youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy. God wants you to enjoy things. He wants you to enjoy this gift. But enjoy the companionship of those who who call on the Lord with what? That's what we're going for, right? One for pure hearts, making sure that we got friends that have pure hearts. So let me give you the three things out of this verse. You ready? Here's your three things. You want to go ahead and fill them in? You can go ahead and fill them in. I'm going to keep this screen up, but I'm going to show you. First one is to run from sin. Run from sin. 
says we need to run from anything that stimulates lust. Run from sin. I'm gonna give you the second one, then we're gonna come back. The second one is run to Jesus. Righteousness, living, uh, righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. You know where we find that? Jesus. So we're gonna run to him. We're gonna pursue Jesus. We're not gonna just run from the thing that we don't wanna be attached to. We're gonna run to someone who's greater than that. And then last one, we're gonna run with. We're gonna enjoy the companionships of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. We're gonna run with others. We're gonna run with others. So let's talk about this idea of running from sin. Running from sin. I just wrote a couple of things down. Well, let me show you this scripture first. Genesis 29, the story of Joseph. Joseph was a young man, um, probably in his 20s, strapping, young, nice, awesome looking guy. And he had, uh, he was working in Pharaoh's um, palace and Pharaoh's wife really had the hots for him, like hot hots. She was always pursuing him, always like him. She was, she was uh, watch this. She caught him by his cloak. Come on, how many know this woman's aggressive? All right. She is, she's on panther prowl. All right. She is, and she's a cougar. Um, and so she caught him. That's all right. I got one on the front row. Okay. So she's not on the prowl, but she is a cougar. She's older than me. Okay. Let me just explain all that. All right. It's a running joke in our house. Okay. All right. Let's get spiritual here. So she, she caught him by his cloak, by his clothes, and said, come to bed with me. Now, every hormor, hormor, hormonal, hormonal, young, 20-something, single, good-looking guy would be like, heck yes. But we know that this guy loves Jesus, and he wants to be pure in all that he does. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran. ran. Run for his run out of the house. So I wrote down some scenarios, okay? So you, I don't know how many women you got like hanging on to your cloak, but um, I want to I show you some things that we can do where we need to run. I'm, I just wrote down some things. When you find yourself comparing your spouse to another woman or another man, run. When you find yourself justifying your thoughts and your actions, run. When you look forward to spending more time with this other person than your own spouse, run. When you begin to fantasize about what we, being with this person will be like, run. When you start hiding your interactions with this person and you see yourself beginning to hide the things that you're doing, run. Run. You see that the channel go, you, you click away. See the woman walk by, you bounce your eyes. This will bring great security to your spouse, by the way, and to your children, to see you run. Not cover or hide, but run. We can't play with this. We have to run from this, and it's everywhere. Which leads to the next one, which is run to Jesus. So we don't just run from something, we gotta run to something. And not just something, someone. His name's Jesus. Can I tell you this? You're only as strong as you are honest. You're only as strong as you are honest. And so one of the biggest things that we're gonna have to wrestle through when it comes to sexual impurity and running to Jesus is just being honest. And there's three things that are gonna keep you from honesty. Guilt, Shame, pride. Those are the three things. But we gotta run to Jesus. We gotta let him be the one that begins to heal these areas of our heart. You know when people normally run to Jesus? When they get caught. <laughs> so you come sit in in my office in some of my counseling meetings. And it's usually not men coming, hey, Pastor Josh, man, I really need to talk to you about something. I, I've, I've had it. But I would say about 80% of it is the wife sitting in the room. Tell him. Tell him. Tell him. Tell him what we found. You know, well, um, I, okay, I'll tell you. So this is what, this is no lie. 80% of the time. Our wife messages me on Facebook, man, be praying for my husband. He's really struggling in this area. doesn't want to come tell you. And if he knew that I told you, he would, he would probably divorce me. 
But if we're going to run at Jesus, we've got to be willing to be honest. Satan wants to keep us in our secrets. He wants to keep us in shame. He wants to keep us in fear. He wants to keep us in pride. Confession, confession, confession. That's a new one. Confession breeds humility. Hiding strengthens the chains. Let me show you this, and we're going to end it all right here. 2 Samuel, at the end of chapter 11, so after all this has gone down, he's killed Uriah, all this has played out. Watch what 2 Samuel says. Can we put that up? When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. Hey, he, was, he's not, he is dead, but he didn't die. He was murdered. Let's get that straight. And after the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the, but, oh, well, we'll get to this in a minute. Good job, David. Good job. Hey, man, one of my great men, he died on the battle. His wife's about to be pregnant. You know what? I'm going to just bring him into my home, and I'm going to take care of her, and I'm going to make sure. Good job, David. You are such an incredible man. Man, you are a man of God. Looks good on the outside. Everybody else realizes he's covering it all up. But the thing David had done didn't go unnoticed. It displeased the Lord. And I want you to see chapter uh, chapter 12 now, verse 1. And it says, then the Lord sent Nathan to David. Okay, so the end of chapter, go back to the next one. So at the end of, of, of chapter 11, verse 27, we find out that the Lord is displeased with, with David. And then you see in chapter 12 that God sends Nathan to David. Now, if you know the story of Nathan, Nathan's a prophet. Nathan stands before David and says, gives a parable of all these things, kind of hoping that David would come clean. David is like, we need to kill this man. And Nathan goes, you're the dude. You're the man. In that moment, Nathan does repent. Nathan does, I mean, David does repent and gets things right. But I want to show you something. Normally when we see a last verse on a chapter and then we see the first verse of the next chapter, the tendency is for us to think like it was just the next day. And the next day God sent Nathan to David. You know what? Here's the truth. Watch this. This is crazy. Look at this. The time frame between verse 27 of chapter 11 and chapter 12 verse 1 is two years. Two Years between 11.27 and 12.1. Here's my question. Why did God wait so long? You know why? He was giving David a chance to come clean. Two years he gave him to come clean, to repent, and he didn't. So God says, okay, I'm gonna take care of this. Here's the truth. We've got to be good people that learn to embarrass our sin before it embarrasses us. I would rather embarrass my sin privately than for it to embarrass me publicly. And God gave him to, listen, this is grace. This is the kindness of God. This is the goodness of God. Listen to me very closely. If you are dealing right now with sexual impurity, whether that's sleeping with a boyfriend, having an affair on your spouse, looking at pornography, whatever that is, listen to me very closely, and everything right now is going really good, it's not because God approves. It's because he's giving you a chance to repent. He's giving you a chance to get help, to get clean. Two years he gave him a moment to get this thing right. Sin is an abusive lover. Sin will tell you what it wants you to hear and then it'll beat you down after you do it. Oh, it's not that big of a deal and then it'll come on the other side after you do it and go, I can't believe you did that. You say you love Jesus. You go to our Savior's church. I can't believe you. Isn't that how it works, right? It comes on this side. It's not that big of a deal and then once you do it, it comes on the other side and begins to condemn you and say, listen, you are a filthy piece of trash. Your husband's never gonna do this. You're, you're always gonna do this. This is always who you are. This is how condemnation works. Sin and his abusive lover. Girls in here, how do you get rid of an old boyfriend? How do you get rid of a boyfriend that just will not leave? You know how? You get a bigger boyfriend. Right? And he takes care of the job. Can I tell you right now? You need a bigger boyfriend. His name's Jesus. 
And he's not an abusive lover. He's a good one. And he'll take care of you. And he'll heal every deep wound and insecurity that you have. This is what Jesus does. He is a healer. And then last but not least is we run with others. When you have sexual impurity, honestly, one of the ways that the enemy works his greatest tool in our life is to isolate us. He isolates us. And 2 Timothy said, make sure that you're enjoying company and running with people who are of the same, who are of pure hearts, that desire to have pure hearts. Who are you running with? Are you running with people who think sexual immorality is okay? Then you'll be surprised how you don't think it's a big deal because they don't think it's a big deal. They're cheating on their spouse too. They're watching porn too. They're doing whatever. Make sure you're running with people that have a desire to please God more than to please themselves. We need to run with others. Let me, let me show you this last verse and we're done. Ephesians 4, 12, I mean, uh, Ecclesiastes 4, 12 says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer and three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. You can't do it alone. Can't do it alone. If you're going to try to do it alone, I promise you, you're going to continue to stay in this cycle. We need to run from sin. We need to run to Jesus. And then we need to run with others. Now in my closing, let me speak to those today who have done all this the wrong way. I had a guy come up to me uh, after the 9 a.m. service. He said, I wish I'd have heard this, this message three years ago. It would have saved a lot of heartache. So let me talk to those who are struggling right now. Jesus can redeem any situation. Jesus can heal our dysfunction. Jesus can restore marriages. And on the front end, for you to get healing, it may hurt first because you've got to come clean. But I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus will walk with you. He can restore you. Jesus' family was filled of sexually impure people. And Jesus' entire ministry, most of it, a lot of it, was with people who were failing sexually. The woman who caught in adultery picks her up and says, you're forgiven. Be free. Go. Sin no more. So there is hope and grace and love and forgiveness for you if you are failing in this area. And if you're flirting with this area, I hope you hear the warning. Don't. Run, forest, run. Get away. Be open and transparent with your wife. Let God do a deeper work inside of you. If there's anything that's going to tear your marriage apart, it's going to be this area. It's going to be this area. Guard the gate. Guard the gate. Lock that gate down. Make a covenant with those eyes. Guard your mind. Take those thoughts captive. Bring them to Jesus. Share them with your spouse. Say, man, this is where I'm really struggling. Man, be praying with me. Work together, not against each other. Maybe some of you need to have a conversation with your spouse through some of this. This is hard stuff, I know. I've been there, I've I've struggled. I've had that. But God can make you free. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And there can be freedom in this house. Amen.